Our Father who is in heaven, I'm very thankful, Father, for the opportunity to teach the Bible. I'm thankful for those who are watching and have hearts that want to learn truth. Father, thank you for blessing us in so many ways. Thank you for the freedoms we enjoy in this great country and the opportunity to have Bible studies at any time we desire. Father, I'm thankful for your word, particularly the book of Acts and the life of the Apostle Paul and all the great lessons we can learn about zeal and passion for your work from, from his life. Bless this study, Father. Bless those among your people and across the globe who are in need of your comfort and encouragement. Continue to hold our hands, Father, during this very difficult time. And bless us to always be mindful of heaven and be mindful of the need to bring you glory in every aspect of our lives. Please bless this study, Father. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Thank you for tuning in to another Bible Bible study video, we are continuing a special series of classes entitled Paul's Preaching. We're looking at the ministry and the life of the Apostle Paul. And as we begin this particular study, I want to begin by putting a verse on the slide. It's Acts chapter 14 and verse 27. If you remember in our last video, we studied Paul's first preaching journey. We looked at what the Bible says about this journey in Acts chapter 14. And in Acts 14 and verse 27, Luke, the writer of Acts, he writes these words about Paul and Barnabas. He says, when they had arrived and gathered the church together, that is when they had returned back to the church at Antioch, the Antioch near Jerusalem, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how he opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. I wanted to begin by putting this verse on the slide because I believe, I believe that it sums up, sums up perfectly Paul's first preaching journey. Notice how, as Jesus predicted in Acts chapter 9 and verse 15, through the apostle Paul, God was able to spread the gospel to people beyond who were beyond being Jews. Through Paul, God was able to spread the gospel beyond Judea and Jerusalem and even Samaria. Through Paul, God was able to spread the gospel to Gentiles, to people who were from other nations beyond the Jewish nations. The scripture tells us that some amazing things resulted from Paul's first, first missionary or preaching journey. And I really want to emphasize that language, Paul's first missionary journey, because that would certainly not be the only, his only missionary journey. You see... The Apostle Paul would actually go on two, two other missionary journeys, and both of these journeys are recorded in the book of Acts. The book of Acts records three of Paul's missionary or preaching journeys, and over the next couple of classes, we want to focus on his second missionary journey. 
because so much goes on on, on Paul's second missionary journey, for us to do it any kind of justice, we really need to devote two classes to studying that journey. But before we dive into what the book of Acts tells us about Paul's second missionary journey, I think we need to go to Acts chapter 15 and address a very important situation that pops up in this chapter. Will you go in your Bible to Acts chapter 15, please? Look over Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 is one of the most important chapters in the book of Acts. It is right up there with the events described in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 15, we find a very critical issue being discussed in the church. And so are you in Acts chapter 15? Look at verse number 1. In Acts chapter 15 and verse number 1, after the conclusion of Paul's first preaching journey, it says some men came down from Judea. And they began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and elders, and they reported all that God had done with them, but some sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and direct them to observe the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. Now these verses right here really do a good job setting up the context. They set up the context concerning this very critical issue that pops up in the church at this time. Going back to what we found in these verses, I want you to notice how after completing their first preaching journey, and while they continued working with the church in Antioch, Luke, the writer of Acts, tells us about a major problem concerning doctrine and practice that arose in the church. While Paul and Barnabas continued working with the church in Antioch, a major problem concerning doctrine and practice arose in the church. Luke says that some men came down from Judea. They came from Judea teaching the Gentiles, that is, the newly converted Gentiles, that in addition to obeying the gospel, in addition to obeying the new covenant law of Jesus Christ, they also had to be circumcised and they had to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. So men from Judea told the newly converted Gentiles that obeying the gospel wasn't enough. Becoming disciples of Jesus wasn't enough in order to be saved. No, in addition to obeying the gospel, they also had to become Jews. They also had to be circumcised. And they had to keep the law of Moses to be saved. That's what these men from Judea told the newly converted Gentiles. 
And the scripture says that Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with these men. They had a, a, a conversation, a Bible study, dissension, debate, even argument with these men concerning this issue. And this issue could not be resolved with just Paul and Barnabas talking with these men. No, the scripture also tells us that Paul and Barnabas had to be sent to Jerusalem from the church at Antioch. They had to be sent to Jerusalem to discuss this issue with the elders and the apostles who were there. Someone says, why did this issue have to be had to be resolved in Jerusalem. Well, my friend, this issue had to be resolved in Jerusalem because that's where these false teachers came from. These false teachers didn't come from Antioch. The scripture says they came from Judea. They came from Jerusalem. They came from where the church in Jerusalem was located because these men came from Jerusalem and because they went down to Antioch and they were causing trouble among the newly converted Gentiles in Antioch, Paul and Barnabas needed to get to the bottom of this. They needed to be sent by the church at Antioch to Jerusalem. This was a Jerusalem issue. These men, these false teachers came from Jerusalem, and so the meeting had to take place there. And the meeting had to take place because this issue that had come up Concerning Gentile circumcision and salvation, it, it, it was a salvation issue. It was a salvation matter. This was not a matter of judgment. We're talking about people's souls here. We're talking about what do the Gentiles need to do precisely to get their sins forgiven by the blood of Jesus? What do they do need to do to be right with God? What do they do need to do in order to go to heaven. This was an issue that just could that could not just be lightly swept under the rug. This issue needed to be addressed. Did the Gentiles really need to become Jews after obeying the gospel? Did they really need to to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses? Was it true what these men were saying to them, that obeying the gospel was not enough? This was a salvation matter. That's why this meeting needed to take place in Jerusalem. And I want us to understand that after this meeting in Jerusalem concluded, this issue of circumcision for the purpose of salvation, it was settled once and for all. The brethren got to the bottom of this issue. This issue was settled once and for all at this meeting in Jerusalem. And it was settled not by appealing to the thoughts and opinions of men. Instead, it was settled by studying the revelation of the Holy Spirit. My brothers coming together and considering what the Holy Spirit had already revealed about this issue, this important matter, was able to be addressed properly. The brethren discover the truth about Gentile salvation by studying the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And I submit to you that what these brothers did 
to discover the truth concerning this matter is exactly the same thing that we need to do to discover the truth concerning biblical matters today. Just like these brothers in Jerusalem today, when we want to discover the truth concerning a very important biblical issue, we need to sit down and we need to talk and we need to figure out what the Holy Spirit has already said about the matter. That's what we need to do. That's what these brothers did. In fact, they got down to the bottom of this issue by considering the testimony of three very important people. First, they considered the testimony of Peter. In Acts chapter 15, verses 7 through 11, at this meeting in Jerusalem, Peter was there. And Peter spoke up first, and he reminded the brothers of what happened, what he saw happened at the household of Cornelius. If you remember in Acts chapter 10, we can read about the time when God sent Peter to preach the gospel to the Gentiles for the very first time. This took place at the household of Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile. And Peter went to go preach the gospel to him. And just like what happened with the apostles in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10, Cornelius and his Gentile household had the Holy Spirit's power poured out upon them. The Holy Spirit's power overcame or was immersed upon the, the household of Cornelius. And the result of that was Cornelius and his household were able to miraculously speak in foreign languages that they had never formally learned. And Peter understood what that meant. He understood that the baptism of the Holy Spirit upon this Gentile household was a sign from heaven that the Gentiles could enter into the kingdom of God in the very same way that the Jews did in Acts chapter 2. Just like the Jews in Acts chapter 2, the Gentiles would enter into the kingdom of God by having faith in Jesus Christ, by repenting of their sins, and by being baptized in water for the forgiveness of their sins. Peter remembered how back at the household of Cornelius, circumcision was not required for the Gentiles to become children of God. Obeying the law of Moses was not required for Gentiles to be part of the church of the Lord. Peter told the brothers in Acts 15 that at the household of Cornelius, God showed him, the Holy Spirit showed him that Gentiles could become Christians. They, be, they could become saved and get their sins forgiven by the blood of Jesus by obeying the gospel, not by being circumcised and keeping the law of Moses. Peter testified of what happened at the household of Cornelius in Acts 15, verses 7 through 11. And then after he gave his testimony, the apostle Paul and Barnabas backed him up with their testimony in verse number 12. In verse 12 of this chapter, Paul and Barnabas speak up at the meeting and they, and they talk about what happened when they preached the gospel to the Gentiles on their first preaching journey. They said on our first preaching journey when we preached the gospel to the Gentiles, 
God gave us miraculous ability and that miraculous power, that miraculous demonstration, those miraculous demonstrations were a sign from heaven that God was pleased with our message, that, that we were in fact true messengers of God. You see, the miracles they performed among the Gentiles confirmed the message that they preached, and that message was not a message of keeping the law of Moses. It was not a message of you got to be circumcised and become Jews in order to be right with God. No, the message that Paul and Barnabas preached to the Gentiles to the Gentiles was the same message that Peter preached in Acts 10, and that is if you want to be right with God, all you need to do is obey the gospel. You need to believe in Jesus, and you need to repent of your sins, and you need to be baptized in water for the forgiveness of sins. Paul and Barnabas testified at this meeting that when they preached the gospel to the Gentiles, they did not preach circumcision. They did not preach keeping the law of Moses. They preached about Jesus and the need to come to him on the terms of the new covenant. God confirmed that message. God confirmed that truth by giving them miraculous ability. And so Peter and Paul testify at this meeting. And then James has something to say. James backs up the testimony of Peter and Paul and Barnabas by bringing up the words of Amos from the Old Testament. You see, James goes back to the revelation of Amos through the Holy Spirit, and he reminds the brothers at this meeting that, that going back to the words of Amos, when you go back and study the words of Amos, you see that God always planned. He always planned to bring the Gentiles and to his spiritual family. God always planned to, to bring the Gentiles into the kingdom of God, and he was going to do that apart from the law of Moses. He was going to do that apart from them having to be circumcised. You see, James makes the point that going back to the words of Amos, when you study the words of Amos, Amos declared, that the Gentiles were going to come into the kingdom of God through the Messiah, through the keeping of the gospel, not through the keeping of the law of Moses. What I just want you to see is after considering the revelation of the Holy Spirit at the household of Cornelius, and after considering the revelation of the Spirit when they preached the gospel among the Gentiles on their first missionary journey, and after considering the revelation of the Spirit given to Amos, Peter, Paul, Barnabas, and James told the brothers in Jerusalem that according to what heaven had already revealed, the Gentiles did not have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. They didn't have to become Jews first in order to get their souls right with God, all they needed to do was come to Jesus. All they needed to do was obey his gospel. That was the conclusion that was drawn at this, at this meeting in Jerusalem. And so instead of bothering the Gentiles 
with a need to be circumcised and to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. In Acts 15, in verse number 20, the brethren there wrote to the Gentile Christians that what God wanted them to do was abstain from their former pagan practices. Instead of telling them to keep the law of Moses, due to their idolatrous backgrounds, the Gentiles were told to stay away from idols, to stay away from fornication, and to stay away from things that were strangled and from blood. Stay away from eating blood. Stay away from your former pagan practices. Since the Gentiles, most Gentiles during this time were involved, heavily involved in paganism and idolatry, the brothers in Jerusalem said, that's what you need to focus on. You need to focus on staying away from paganism and idolatry. You do not need to keep the law of Moses to be saved. That was the conclusion that was drawn based on the revelation of the Spirit. And in verse number 31, after this letter was written, and delivered to the Gentiles in Antioch, it says when they read it, they rejoiced because it was encouraging. Now the Gentiles have clarity. Now they know that obeying the gospel was enough. Obeying Jesus was enough. They really were right with God. Verse 32 says that Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message, and they spent time there, and they were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out. But it seemed good to Silas to remain there. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. And so again, this issue of Gentiles having to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses to be saved, it was settled once and for all at this meeting in Jerusalem. So Acts 15 is a very critical chapter, very critical chapter in the book of Acts. And after spending some time working with that church in Antioch a little bit longer, Paul eventually started to get an itch. He eventually decided that it was time for him to take another preaching journey. He, he wanted to go back to some of the churches that he had established on his first journey and encourage those folks. And he also wanted to go into some new territory and preach the word of God. And so this second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul took place between 50 and 54 A.D. And about 50 A.D., Paul says, I'm going to set out on another preaching journey. But unfortunately, this particular journey began with some controversy. It actually began with, a sharp, with sharp dissension between Paul and Barnabas over John Mark. You see, John Mark wanted to go with them again on this journey, but Paul didn't want John Mark to go. Evidently, Paul was upset with John Mark because John Mark, if you remember, had abandoned them on the first, on the first preaching journey. After they, after they got done preaching in Cyprus, John Mark went back to Jerusalem. And so Paul didn't want to deal with Mark anymore. And Barnabas, being the encouraging man that he was, he wanted to give Mark a second chance. And so there, and so there is sharp dissension between Paul and Barnabas over John Mark, but thankfully, instead of letting this disagreement over a matter of judgment hinder their work, 
Paul and Barnabas decided to part ways. They decided to go in two different directions and continue preaching the gospel. In the case of Barnabas, Barnabas took his cousin John Mark with him and they traveled back to Cyprus while the apostle Paul took Silas with him and he traveled through Syria and Cilicia strengthening the churches. He went back to some of the churches that he had established on his first journey and he continued to teach them. He continued to strengthen them in the Lord. It actually reminds me of the words of Jesus in Matthew 28 and verses 18 through 20. If you remember in Matthew 28 and verses 18 through 20, after the Lord said that he had all authority in heaven and on earth, and after he told his disciples to go into all the world and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, after telling them to do that in verse, in verse 20, Jesus goes on to say, he goes on to instruct his people to continue teaching people. He says that after you make disciples by baptizing them, you continue to teach them all things, all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Notice how Paul is doing what that verse, what those verses say. Even though Paul made many disciples in Syria and Cilicia, he eventually comes back to those people and he continues to teach them all things that the Lord commands. He continues to strengthen and edify and help these people grow in the Lord. He goes back to Syria and Cilicia, and then he goes back to Derby. Remember, he also helped make many disciples in Derby. You see, in Derby, Paul would go on to meet his future protege and his future son in the faith, Timothy. Remember Timothy? Timothy was a young preacher. He was... He would go on to be a dear friend of the Apostle Paul, and Paul met Timothy for the first time on his second preaching journey. He met Timothy in Derby. And it says, the Bible describes Timothy, according to Acts 16 and verse 1, Acts 16 and verse 1, when Paul went to Derby and then to Lystra, I'm sorry, Timothy was actually from Lystra. Lystra, if you remember, was the city where Paul was stoned and drugged out of the city left to die. Timothy was from Lystra. Paul converted some folks in, Timothy, in Lystra, and Timothy was one of those people. Timothy is described as a disciple. He's described as, as someone who had a Jewish mother. And when you read 1 and 2 Timothy, you see that his Jewish mother, Eunice, taught him the word of God. She taught him the scriptures from the time he was a little boy. She was a believer. She was a Christian, but his father was a Greek. His father was a Gentile, and Luke probably is making reference to the fact that Timothy's father was not a Christian. He may have been a good man, but he wasn't a Christian. Verse 2 says that Timothy was spoken of highly by the brethren in Lystra and Iconium. He had a good reputation, and because of his good reputation, Paul 
had him circumcised for the sake of influence among the Jews, because Timothy is half Jewish. And so if they're going to have influence among the Jews, Timothy needed to be circumcised, not for the purpose of salvation, but for the purpose of influence. And Paul decided after that to bring him alone on his, on his second missionary journey. And so at this point, Paul is now traveling with Timothy, and he's traveling with Silas. And they go to Phrygia, and they go to Galatia. Remember, Paul writes a letter to the church at the churches at Galatia. Well, Paul is establishing churches in Galatia at this point. They go through Phrygia, they go through Galatia. They want to go through Asia. They want to go through the northern part of Asia to a place called Bithynia, but the Lord forbids them from going into Asia. The Holy Spirit forbidded them from going into Asia. Why were they forbidden? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us. All we know is that's not where the Lord wanted Paul to go at this time. And so Paul listened to the Lord. He listened to the Holy Spirit. He didn't go into Asia. Instead, they passed through Troas, Somathrace, Neapolis, and eventually they made their way into the region of Macedonia. Now go in your Bible to Acts chapter 16, look at verse 9. In Acts 16 and verse number 9, the Bible says that when Paul was in Troas, when he was in Troas, he, he saw a, a miraculous vision. The Bible says that while Paul was in Troas, a vision appeared to him in the night, and a man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And so in Troas, Paul sees this vision of someone saying, come into Macedonia and help us. And Paul immediately would go into Macedonia after seeing that vision, concluding that God wanted him to go there so that he could preach the gospel. And this would actually make Paul the first apostle to preach the gospel in Europe. Macedonia was located in Europe. And the first major city that Paul would visit in Macedonia would be the city of Philippi. Philippi, remember Paul also wrote a letter to the church at Philippi. Well, here at Acts 16, we can read about Paul's work here and when he first plants this church in Philippi. Now, normally, Paul, Paul would first, whenever he would go into a city, if you remember, and I tried to stress this in our last video. Remember, typically when Paul would first go into a city, his normal method of evangelism was he would first go and find a Jewish synagogue. He would first take the gospel to the Jews. He would first go and find a religious assembly full of Jews. But Philippi seemed to not have had a synagogue. And so instead of going to the synagogue, in verses 13 through 14, the scripture says that on the Sabbath day, Paul went outside the gate to a riverside where he supposed there were there will be a place of prayer. And he sat down and began speaking to a group of women who had assembled there. Now, one of these women that was in this assembly, you may recall, that is Lydia. 
You see, Lydia would be among the first converts in Philippi. In the Bible, we learn that Lydia was from Thyatira. And she was a seller of purple, purple fabrics. That was very expensive fabrics in the time of the ancient world. She's also described as a religious woman, as a woman of prayer, as a worshiper of God. She, the scripture says, would have her heart opened by the Lord through the gospel to respond to the things spoken of by Paul. She and her whole household would also be baptized. And after she was baptized, she urged Paul and Silas and Timothy, if you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Notice right after this lady becomes a Christian, she shows hospitality to Paul and Timothy and Silas. She's among the first converts in the city of Philippi. The Lord opened her heart through the gospel and she was baptized for the remission of her sins. Now, after she is baptized, when you go on to Acts chapter 16, and you look at verses 16 through 21, you see that Paul encounters a slave girl possessed with a demon. He encounters a slave girl possessed with a demon. Acts 16 verse 16. After Paul and Timothy and Silas spent some time with Lydia, it says that as we were going into a place of prayer, a slave girl, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us. And let me just say that notice how Luke here, the writer of Acts, is now speaking in the first person. He's speaking in the first person now. He's saying we and us. Evidently, Luke has also joined Paul at this point in his journey, the great physician. And he was bringing her masters much money by fortune tellers. So you got this woman or this girl, a slave girl who has a demon in her, and she's making her masters a lot of money by fortune telling. And she's also, verse 17, following Paul, following Paul and his co-workers, and crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High, of the Most High God, who are pro proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Evidently, this demon that's inside of her recognizes who Paul is recognizes that Paul and his co-workers are true messengers of God. They recognize Paul just like they recognize Jesus when Jesus was preaching. Verse 18, she continued doing this for many, for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out of her at that moment. And when her master saw that, her, that the hope of their prophet was gone, their golden goose was gone because the demons out of her. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are confusing our city or throwing our city into confusion, being Jews and are proclaiming customs, which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe being Romans. And so notice how after casting this demon out of the slave girl because Paul was getting in the way of these men making money off of this girl. They were lied on and they were beaten and they were thrown in jail. They were thrown into a Philippian jail cell. But after a great earthquake occurred, Paul is given an opportunity to teach the gospel to the jailer and he actually converts the jailer. He converts the jailer in his household. 
So now you have Lydia, a part of the Lord's kingdom. She lives in Philippi. Some other women in the area, they're converted. They live in Philippi. And now the jailer that was watching Paul and Silas, he's converted in his household. They're part of the kingdom of God. And so God is using Paul to do some amazing things in Philippi. And after being released from jail, when you get to Acts 17, you find Paul making his way west 40 miles to Thessalonica. Thessalonica was Macedonia's most important seaport. When he got into Thessalonica, Paul continued his normal method of evangelism. That is, he goes and he finds a Jewish synagogue. He finds an assembly of religious Jews who are not Christians, and he preaches the gospel to them. He tells them about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And to the glory of God, many people are converted in Thessalonica, but even though many were converted, Paul was forced to flee this city immediately once the Jews started persecuting the newly converted brethren. And so after spending some time in Thessalonica, Paul then makes his way to Berea. And in Berea, Paul has a total different experience. You're probably familiar with Acts 17 and verse 11. Where the Bible says, now those were more noble-minded. These were more noble-minded than, than those in Thessalonica. They were more receptive to the gospel than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with eagerness, examining the scriptures, that is the Old Testament scriptures daily, to see whether or not Paul was teaching the truth. Notice how there's a contrast made here between the people in Berea and the people in Thessalonica. Notice how the people in, in Berea were more noble-minded. They had more honest and open hearts when compared to those in Thessalonica. They studied with Paul. They listened to Paul. They gave him a, a chance to, to teach the gospel unhindered. And many of them were also converted. Verse 12 says, many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek men, women, and men. Verse 13 says that even though a lot of people were converted in Berea, eventually those troublemaking Jews from Thessalonica showed up. It says when they found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea also, they came there as well. They followed Paul, agitating and stirring up the crowds. And immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea, and Silas and Timothy remained there. They remained in Berea. And so now Paul is forced out of Berea. He's converting people in Thessalonica. He's converting people in Berea. But the people who oppose his message, they're running him out of each city that he goes to. And so even though Silas and Timothy remain in Athens, or remain in Berea, I'm sorry, Paul has to make his way to Athens. He makes his way to Athens. And Athens was one of the most famous cities in the ancient world. Some of the world's most famous philosophers, they lived in Athens. Athens is known as a, a famous city where great philosophers came from, but it also was the home of many idols. In fact, history tells us that there were over 3,000 idols in the city of Athens. And all these idols provoked 
Paul's spirit. They agitated him. They motivated him to preach with boldness the word of God. In fact, the scripture says that he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. He even preached the word of God in the marketplace where the, where the philosophers were in the city of Athens. And eventually he was given an opportunity to preach the gospel in the Areopagus. You may be more familiar with the, with the language of Paul preaching his famous sermon on Mars Hill. This took place at the Areopagus. And as Paul preached the gospel at the Areopagus in front of these great philosophers, one of the things he wanted to address was their idolatry. He admitted that the people of Athens were religious people. It was pretty obvious. They were religious but they were part of false religion. They were worshiping false gods. In fact, they even had an altar set up there that said to the unknown God. They didn't even know the quote-unquote gods that they were worshiping. They worshiped many different false gods, but Paul wanted to talk with them about the one true and living God. He says that while you worship unknown gods, while you worship gods made with your hands, you need to understand that there's only one true and living God. And this one true and living God, he's the creator of all things. He's the creator of man and beast. He's the creator of the sun and the moon and the stars, and he doesn't dwell in temples made with men's hands, like these, these temples you have around the city. You have all these temples made for these false gods, but the one true and living God, he doesn't dwell in a temple made with man's hands. He doesn't need anything from men. He doesn't need you to give him food and water like you give to your idols. No, the one true and living God, according to what Paul says in Acts 17 and verse number 25, he is a God who gives to all people life and breath and all things. He is a God, verse 26, who made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and boundaries and the boundaries of their habitation. He is a God who, even though you can't see him, he's not near from me. Any, he's not far, I'm sorry, from any single one of us. You see, Paul preached about the one truth and living God. He preached to them about the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, the one who provides for every need for man, the one who from one man made all nations, the one who at one time, according to verse number 30, overlooked the times of ignorance, but now he declares all men everywhere to repent. Why? Well, because verse 31 says he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world, the whole world through a man, that is Jesus, that he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising his son from the dead. In this sermon at the Areopagus, Paul preached about the reality of the one true and living God. He talked about the power of God. He talked about the character of God. He talked about the judgment of God that would occur through his son, Jesus Christ. It was a powerful sermon. 
that had mixed results. You see, in verses 32 and 34 through 34 of this chapter, we see that after Paul preached this sermon, some people mocked him. They especially mocked his message about the resurrection. They did not believe in the resurrection. Many mocked his message of resurrection, but others were more open-minded. Others said, come back, and we want to we hear more of this message. Some even believed and obeyed, although it was just a small few. Now, believe it or not, but Paul's still not done on this second missionary journey. So far, and this is a, a map of Paul's first journey. Notice the territory he covered. We went through this in our last video, but notice just how much more territory he covers in the next, on the next trip. Notice the tan or the kind of maroon, red-looking line. That's the outbound, outbound of Paul's second missionary journey. Notice how after finishing with the meeting in Jerusalem and after going back to Antioch and Syria, he makes his way back through, back through Cilicia. He goes back to many of the churches that, that he established or planted, Derby, you see Lystra, you see Iconium, you see, you see Antioch and Galatia. He's forbidden by the Holy Spirit of going into uh, Bithynia. Instead, he makes his way through Troas. He goes across the Aegean Sea. He makes his way into Macedonia. He goes to Philippi. He converts Lydia and the jailer and many other people. He goes to Thessalonica. He converts people in Thessalonica, but he's run out of Thessalonica. He goes to Berea, and he meets some very noble-minded people in Berea, people who study the scriptures with him, and many people are converted in Berea, and then eventually he goes south to Athens. And right now, where we stopped, he's in Athens. He preached at the Oropagus. A few were converted, but most rejected what he had to say. And we're going to stop right there. In our next video, in our next video, we're going to pick up with Paul's journey. We're going to pick up with him going to the city of Corinth. And then we're going to get ready to very soon get into his third missionary journey. Now, let me just say that in many of these churches you find Paul planting, later on, he's going to write letters to these churches. He writes a letter to the church at Philippi. He writes a letter or two letters to the church at Thessalonica. He writes two letters to the church at Corinth. He writes a letter to the church at Galatia. He writes a letter to the church at Colossae. Many of these churches that he is planting, he has a special interest and love for the brethren that make up those churches. And we're going to find him writing letters to these churches at various times in his ministry. And we're going to have a class on that at some point as well. But thank you for studying with me. I know that was a lot. This has really been challenging me. I've never studied Paul's journeys like I've been studying them over the past few weeks. But it's very important stuff. It's good stuff. And I appreciate you studying with me. And I hope these things are making sense to you. Because God is using Paul to do some amazing things in the first century. God bless you. Thank you for your time.